Welcome to the sermon webcast of Good News Lutheran Church of Mount Horeb, Wisconsin. The following sermon was preached on March 8, 2015, on the basis of Numbers chapter 16, verses 23 through 40. It has been observed that only in America do we ask someone that we've just recently met, so what do you do? Here in our culture, we place a lot of importance on a person's job, don't we? Your job is more than simply where you spend most of your waking hours each day. It's more than simply what determines your income. It's very easy for your job to be a very important part of your identity. The only problem is so many people are unhappy with their job. Depending on which study you would read and which study you would believe, that number might be as high as 95%. In fact, a lot of those people would say that they would quit their job tomorrow if they could. Maybe that describes you. An even bigger problem is that almost no one agrees on how we're going to fix this. How do you make jobs better? This recent controversial right-to-work bill that passed in our state legislature is kind of a perfect example of that, isn't it? Obviously, there are some people who think that that's the way to make jobs better in our state. And yet, just as obviously, the 5,000 people who stood out in front of the state capitol last Saturday for hours on end in 15-degree weather, well, obviously, they feel differently. So who do you suppose is right? Well, I'm guessing you didn't come to church today to find an answer to that question. But maybe you did come to church today to at least get a little bit of a better grasp on a question that is far more important, but a question that is just as divisive. You see, just about everyone in our world would sense that some sort of God up there has some sort of influence over everything that goes on in our lives. Not just our jobs, but our health our family, our relationships, even our recreation. God has his hands in all of it. So what do we do when things aren't going the way that we want them to? What do we do when we look at the way that things are going for other people and wish that maybe we could trade places with them? What then? Well, there are actually two polar opposite theories, two completely different approaches that people take to try to get ahead with God, and we'll talk about both of them today. And yet, of course, when it comes to this question, the only opinion that really matters is God's opinion. And so as we turn our attention to this Word of God that's in front of us today, we're going to find out, we're going to see the real key to climbing God's corporate ladder. The situation that is in front of us today maybe isn't all that different from what's going on in our state right now. Call it a protest, call it a strike, whatever you might call it. The number of people who were involved was a little bit smaller, and yet they were just as angry. You see, God's people were traveling through the wilderness. They were going from slavery in Egypt up into the land that God had promised to give them as their inheritance, And all of a sudden, one day, 254 of them wake up and decide that they have had enough. 
they decide that they are not happy with their jobs. Four of them are mentioned in Numbers chapter 16 by name, and then we're told that these four, who were the leaders of the protest, gathered with them 250 followers. Now, what's important for us to know about these 254 men is that each of them had actually been given a very important job in the community by God. Korah was the name of sort of the ringleader of this whole protest. And Korah was from the tribe of Levi. Levi was the family that was responsible for everything that went on in the people's public worship. So Korah was one of the religious leaders in the community. As far as the rest of them, we're told at the beginning of the chapter that they were well-known community leaders who had been appointed as members of the council. So they were government leaders in that community. And yet, in spite of the jobs that they had been given, the very important jobs that God gave to them, it was the jobs that God had not given them that really had them upset. And so they launched this protest against Moses and against Aaron, the two people at the very top of the organizational flowchart in Israel. Moses was sort of like the commander-in-chief, and Aaron was the high priest, the top leader and the top religious official in all of Israel. And these men went to Moses and Aaron and said, you two have gone too far. The whole community is holy, every single one of them, and the Lord is with them. So why then do you set yourselves above the Lord's assembly? So here's kind of the sad irony in their protest. On the one hand, they were very upset with Moses and Aaron for allegedly setting themselves above the rest of the community. But on the other hand, they were perfectly fine with the roles of leadership that God had given them. On the one hand, they were quick to say to Moses and Aaron, we're all equals here. You're no better than any of us. And yet, on the other hand, they had no problem feeling superior over the people that were underneath them. So as they looked up the corporate ladder, they felt one way. As they looked down the corporate ladder, they felt another way. Which one do you suppose was right? You see, you and I can just as easily flip-flop back and forth when it comes to our approach to how to get ahead with our God. We look around at the people around us and it sure is easy to find people who do not have as much as we have, who have not been given what we have been given or who are maybe suffering in ways that we are not suffering. And it's only human nature, it's only human instinct to think that there must be a reason for that. In fact, Jesus addressed that concern in today's gospel. Two Tragedies had just taken place in Israel. People had lost their lives, and Jesus knew that his disciples were simply going to assume that the people who had died in those tragedies must have committed some sort of awful sin. So I look around at the people that have not been given what I have been given, and why is that? Well, it must be because I have earned more than what they have. But then we're just as quick, and it's just as easy 
to look at people who have more than what we have. Their jobs are better. Their houses are bigger. Their health is in better shape. Their family actually looks like they love each other and gets along with one another. So now what? Well, if I were to apply that logic consistently, I would have to assume that they must have done something to earn what they have that I have not done. And yet, of course, I don't want to think that way. I don't want to admit that. And so that's where I launch my protest. That's where I go on strike and I say, God, that's not fair. If you really love us all equally, then you should really treat us all equally. And back and forth and back and forth we go. You see, when it comes to climbing God's corporate ladder, it's very easy for us to be wildly inconsistent in our approach to God. The one second we're arguing for opportunity. We want God to give everyone what they deserve. Then the next second we're arguing for entitlement. We want God to give everyone exactly the same thing regardless of what they deserve. So we look down the corporate ladder at those that we assume might be beneath us and we take pride in what we assume is some sort of system of merit. I have earned everything that I have. But then we look up the corporate ladder at those that have more than us and we plead to God for a system of non-merit, assuming that those who are above us couldn't have possibly earned everything that they have. So again, I ask you, which one is it? Which one is correct? Well, as I mentioned at the beginning, the only person whose opinion matters in all of this is, of course, God's. And in these verses, God doesn't so much tell us the answer to this question as he shows us the answer to this question. God very vividly and very visually demonstrates to his people the answer to this question. Here's a quick rundown of what God did. So God says to these 254 people who had launched this protest, he said, fine, you want to be priests? Go ahead and act like priests. Tomorrow I want you to come to my house. I want you to appear before the tent of the Lord, the place where God meets with his people. And I want you to bring with you a censer, a little small metal container made out of bronze that was used for burning incense. Come to my house, appear before the Lord, bring that censer, and then do what only the priests were allowed to do, burn some incense as an offering to God. Now, in order to determine what God would think about this and whether God would approve of this, you heard Moses sets up this little test. He says, if, if nothing out of the ordinary happens to these men, if they simply die a natural death the way that all of us eventually will, then they must be right and Moses and Aaron must be wrong. But if something unheard of happens, something completely out of the ordinary, if the ground opens up and swallows them whole, then you will know that they are in the wrong and Moses and Aaron are right. And so sure enough, the very next day, all of it happened. 
They appeared before the Lord. They burned incense the way that only the priests were supposed to do. And sure enough, you heard it. The ground opened up. The ground swallowed four of those men alive. And then fire came out from the tent of the Lord and consumed the other 250 nameless followers. Finally, God said one more thing, Moses and Aaron. I want you to take those bronze sensors, those little metal containers, and I want you to hammer them out flat. I want you to hammer them flat and then attach them to my altar. That big, beautiful altar that stood right outside the tent of the Lord where all of the animal sacrifices that God expected were made, God wanted them to take those metal sensors and lay them over that altar. Kind of a shocking command when you think about it. It would be like if you went home today and you took that beautiful, handcrafted wooden hutch that has been in your family for generations and sits there in your dining room and you went and covered it with little squares of aluminum tinfoil. Again, God is not so much telling his people something as he is very vividly showing them something. So what is it that God wants to show us? Well, to begin with, God does not deal with his people on a system of merit. Moses and Aaron did not have the positions that they had because they had earned them. It wasn't career ambition that had caused them to rise to the very top of the nation. In fact, whenever Aaron the priest had to make one of those sacrifices on that altar, do you know whose sins he had to make a sacrifice for first every single time? His own. First a sacrifice for his sins, then a sacrifice for the sins of the people. In fact, none of us, none of those people deserved anything good from God because all of them were equally guilty before God. And yet, God also wants us to know that just because all people are equally sinful doesn't mean that God treats people exactly the same. God still had these very special roles that he gave to very specific people, including this role of high priest that he gave to Aaron. Because all of God's people were equally sinful, God had no choice but to set apart one person who would act as a representative for all of them. This was kind of like collective bargaining only to the absolute extreme. One man got to deal directly with God. One man got to negotiate an agreement with God and everyone else had to live with that agreement. That was the role of high priest. So which is it? Does God deal with us on a system of merit where everyone gets what they deserve? Or does God deal with us based on a system of non-merit where he treats everyone exactly the same because we're all equally sinful? Well, really, it's neither one. Instead, here's what our God really wants from us. First of all, God wants us to always remember our unworthiness before him. God wants us to vividly remember our sin just as vividly as God's people would have been able to see those souvenirs of this rebellion, those pieces of scrap metal that were overlaid God's beautiful altar. God wants us to know that the second we start to think that we deserve something good from him, 
that's when we're really standing on shaky ground. But God also wants us to remember our great high priest. God wants us to remember that he can't just simply ignore our sin. He can't simply forget about our sin. Instead, he sets apart one individual to act as the representative for all of us. One man to deal directly with God for us all. One man to negotiate the terms of our agreement with God. One man to pay the penalty for our sin. One man to secure our salvation. The ultimate fulfillment of this role of high priest that God was just introducing through Aaron, the first high priest. Jesus Christ is the ultimate fulfillment of the lesson that God is trying to teach here. He is the one who settles our relationship with God. So when it comes to climbing God's corporate ladder, God doesn't put us all on different rungs on the basis of what we deserve. At the same time, he doesn't put us all on the same rung because we're all equally sinful. No, instead, God sets apart one person to climb to the top of the ladder for all of us. And because he did, because Jesus carried out that role as high priest, you and I can be perfectly thankful and perfectly content with whatever role, whatever job, whatever station in life God gives to us. Because what truly matters is not the specific role that God has given us, but the one specific role that God hasn't given us. The role of earning our own salvation, the role that he gave to our Savior Jesus in our place. And because he did, because Jesus fulfilled that role perfectly, you and I get to sit back with a smile on our faces and sing that beautiful last line of the Lenten song of praise that we're using throughout this season. You heard it again today when we sang it. My life, your life, my identity, your identity is not found in your job, it's not found in your status, it's not found in your wealth or even your family. No, as the hymn writer says, my life is hidden now on high with Christ my Savior and my God. In other words, friends, the key to climbing God's corporate ladder is simply to realize that there's nowhere left to climb. In Christ Jesus, we're already at the very top. Amen. For more information about Good News Lutheran Church, visit www.goodnewslc.org.